0: Welcome to Checking In with Michelle Williams, a production of iHeartRadio and The Black Effect. I know you've heard the song, Don't Worry, Be Happy, or Sis, Just Be Positive. It's all gonna be okay. I'm excited to talk to Dr. Sue Varma. She's got a book called Practical Optimism, The Art, Science, and Practice of Exceptional Well-Being. And I wanna get her thoughts on the term toxic positivity. If you've heard that term, or if somebody has been too positive while you've been going through something, I want you to listen to this episode. Hello, welcome to another amazing episode of Checking In. I really hope that you have been enjoying the variety of the previous episodes. They have been so fun, so, so positive, so affirming, and it kind of lines up with our guest that we have today. I'm sure you've seen her as an expert on the Today Show or Good Morning America She's an author, psychiatrist, New York University medical professor, a two-time Share Care Emmy winner. Please welcome Dr. Sue Varma to Checking In. Thank
1: you so much for having me, Michelle. So great to see you.
0: I'm just so delighted. I know me and the producers of Checking In, we are delighted to have you here. You have a new book called Practical Optimism, The Art, Science, and Practice of Exceptional Well-Being. And we're gonna just get right into it. Well, Let's actually, it. before we get into it, I want you guys, we all know that what September 11th did. I can tell you where I was. Um, I was in Los Angeles, September 11th, 2001, Regent Beverly Wilshire Hotel. Me, Beyonce and Kelly, we were uh, preparing for the Latin Grammys and 9-11 happens. Well, y'all, Dr. Sue Varma worked with survivors of 9-11. And if I'm not mistaken, that's what led you to this path Mm -hmm. of positivity and optimism.
1: Yes. And, you know, it's so interesting, uh, Michelle, is that no matter where in the country you were, none of us were untouched by by Mm 9-11. And I was in my training at the time. And then, you know, we were we were sitting in the New York City hospitals, not sitting, waiting, anticipating folks to come in and discharging a lot of patients and hoping that people would come in. And what we were finding instead was that the death toll kept increasing and we didn't have too many living people coming in. Um, and it would be a few years later when I got selected to be the medical director of this program and, yes. you know, started getting very interested in resilience because, Michelle, I was seeing that there were all these people who would come in some of them had medical problems. They were covered that day with dust and debris as they were trying to escape. A lot of them got trampled on. Some people witnessed loved ones um, just getting trapped, not being able to get out, seeing people jumping out of the windows, like just all the worst, horrific, unimaginable stuff. But what it also taught me about was how the human spirit truly is resilient in the face of adversity and really, yes. it's through it's through helping others. That is where I saw some of the strongest people, not that they didn't have their own injury or illness or problems mm-hmm. or job loss, but somehow they, in the midst of all this, they were able to rescue other people, pick up the people that were trampled on. And then these were the folks that kind of went on to, to survive and not just survive, but thrive. And so I got interested yes. in who these people are what are their genetics? What has set them up in life? Oh. you know and then how how can the rest of us learn and take notes? Because up until now, you know, Michelle, I always thought of like optimism as something you were either born with or, or you weren't. And then what do you do if you're not? what if you what do you do if you're the glass half empty type because all of us know people like that, right? Like so it was like, all right, how do we figure out what do these people have who are just naturally positive? And then how can the rest of us learn? from them.
0: So good. And y'all, what Dr. Suvarma is talking about, um, she was the, she was as the pioneering medical director and attending psychiatrist at the World Trade Center mental health program. She played a crucial role in supporting civilian and first responders in the aftermath of the tragic 9-11 events. And as she's also sharing, she saw the stress and the trauma and I love how you're saying you notice the resilience of people who were injured or on the on the scene, injured themselves, but helping people, you know, you said a key word, you said genetics. Mm -hmm. Am I hearing you say is optimism and resilience the same thing?
1: Great question. Optimism is one key component of resilience. And then there are other key components that can help people be more resilient, like people who are flexible in their thinking, people who are able to reframe things positively, people who are able to offer people social support or get social support themselves, people who have a sense of humor. Like think of resilience as sort of this umbrella. And then underneath it, that there are all these little things. And optimism is sort of one of the key five or six things that all feed into resilience. And up until now, nobody really paid attention because they're like, all right, social support I can work on. I can try to learn how to ask for help, right? I can kind of reframe my negative thinking maybe with the help of a good therapist But what is this optimism nonsense, right? Like, it's like either you have it or you don't. And if you don't have it, first of all, if you have it, are you, like we were talking about, toxically positive? Like, yeah, it all figured itself out. Or are you just negative? And then there wasn't, nobody realized that it was something actionable, that optimism is a skill, that it's a tool, that it can be learned, it can be taught, and it can be practiced. And our Mm -hmm. life depends on it because there is so much robust study that shows that people who are optimists, so, you know, if you're blessed to have these genes, you can benefit from it so that you live longer, 10 to 15% longer, optimists are healthier, they make more money, they have longer lasting relationships. So there's so much robust science now and data to back up the benefits of optimism. But up until now, until this book, Mm -hmm. no one told us how to do it. And so that's what I'm so doing. So you're
0: saying it's genetic. Optimism is genetic.
1: Only one component though. So so this is what I learned in my research. Optimism is genetic, but only 25%. The rest, 75% is up to us. Wow. So these research, yeah, it is really like fascinating what I learned. So researchers in 2011 at the UCLA um, Medical Center did some research and they found that there's a gene that actually corresponds with optimism. And if you have this particular variant, you're set. You're going to see things positively. And that's what optimism is, is in any number of possible outcomes, you always envision, imagine the more favorable one. People who aren't born with this gene or a variant of it have a tendency to pessimism, negative thinking, and and depression. But to me, the more interesting part was not which gene you were born with, but was the fact that people who had this optimism gene, so to speak, had specific skills. So they were more likely to ask for help. They were better at regulating their emotions and coping skills. And I was like, I'm already doing this with my patients, right? But I'm doing this with patients who've already gone through trauma. The other shoe has already dropped, so to speak, and who have come in asking for help. The big T of trauma, life-threatening type of thing. But what about all the little t's, the everyday disappointments, the job loss, the breakup? What about that? What about those folks? They may not have a big enough, quote, trauma to bring them in to help. Some of them, because they have stigma and barriers, will never come to seek help. How do we take what we learn about optimism, the genetic kind, and then turn it into a set of practices because really that's what the researchers Mm. found is that there are skills that optimists do. It's not magic. It's really not magic. Some people are just gifted and they're born with this natural tendency, right? But really what you find in the brain when you do brain scans is that people with optimism, they have more activity in a certain part of their brain. In the left part. Yeah. So you can see. So if I gave you an exercise and if you're an optimist, you're going to be like, I show you a picture of a car accident. No, no, no. They'll get fine. They'll get medical treatment. They'll go back to work. Three days. Three days. The pessimists will see the same thing and they're going to have more activity in the right part of the brain. And they're going to be like, Nah, they're not going to get better. It's going to take them three months. They're not going to walk. Their wife is going to leave them as a result. Like they'll just project the worst case and you can see it on their brain scan.
0: So, the person that is a pessimist, is it because maybe it's been environmental? They just had a lot of bad cards dealt to them, um, trauma, abuse? Yes.
1: yes, 100%. What a great question. And um, I love what you're asking me because you're right. It's all of the above. Like some of us just from the moment we're born, we're hardwired. It could be intergenerational trauma. So, think of like our parents. Themselves were abused, were neglected, were incarcerated, had untreated mental illness, substance abuse. So all of this, what we call like ad they call them adverse childhood events. and it could be your parents getting divorced, your parent not getting treated for illness, your parents fighting, a parent leaving, a parent getting mm. sub, anything. And all of us probably have at least one of these in, you know, something, something. Everybody's got something. So pessimism can come from, your parents having experienced trauma and it's already kind of baked into your own genes. It could be the mental health history in your family that there's people in your family that have depression and it's been passed on to you. And then the cards you're dealt 100%. But Mm. the the thing is, in spite of all of this, what we call genetic loading, that you might have had a family history of pessimism, of depression, your own history of trauma, you can still change the way you look. Because when you change the way you look, your life changes, your outcomes changes. And that, that's how optimism differs, practical optimism, because it's not just having a positive outlook. It's turning those positive outlooks into positive outcomes through action.
0: Wow. You've said so much as far as intergenerational trauma and how a woman caring, it can, it can be in the womb. Mm -hmm. and passed down. I'm like, Lord, can we inject some positivity into the sperm and the egg? (laughs) I love that. Can we inject some Skittles, (laughs) some Starbursts, some something so that, because it's like, it's unfair to that child. They're just like, I'm I'm just here. And as a result of me involuntarily being here, I have mm-hmm. depression. So even for me, I um, mm-hmm. have you know dealt with depression. I have found a way where if there is an event that's caused me to, well, okay. So for instance, this June, 2023, I went through something in some friendship, but I noticed maybe it was depression, but I got physically ill. Mm-hmm. My depression has been the type uh, where it, puts me in the bed for Mm -hmm. days. I don't eat. I'm not able to wash up and just normal hygiene things. Mm -hmm. So I was Mm -hmm. trying so hard. No, you're not going to go back there. You're not going to go back there to the point where I think my response was like, okay, you're feeling this hurt and maybe you're feeling hurt or betrayed or overlooked or misunderstood. I got physically ill talking to my mother about people in my family with depression. She's mm-hmm. had depression. Her sister had depression, but I feel like it was situational because she had a child that was stillborn. Oh. But we looked at my father mm-hmm. and she admitted that it's a possibility that it had he been diagnosed him and his father. So my grandfather, mm-hmm. and my dad would have been bipolar. Mm-hmm. So Then here I come Uh and I think all of my siblings have dealt with some form of depression, but mine started in the seventh grade. Uh And I'm like, what do I have to be depressed about in the seventh grade? So hearing you and other psychiatrists talk about how it can be passed on, passed Uh down. Or Mm -hmm. I was bullied. And I'm not saying me not knowing how to respond to bullying. Maybe that can make a child depressed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would love for you to just um, help us unpack, I guess, what I'm talking about, especially talking about depression so young in the seventh grade, but the whole genetic piece of that.
1: Yes, yes. I know I
0: said a lot, by the way.
1: <laughs> you know, but thank you so much for first of all being so open about it because we need we need this. You know, like when someone looks at you like they would never know. Like if they didn't know your story. They would just say she's mm-hmm. fabulous, like things have worked out for her. Like nobody would ever think. And that's the problem is people think that these two things are incompatible with each other. They almost put people in two buckets, like you're either successful or you've had depression. Like they don't put it together. That successful people often live with depression. And it's mm-hmm. and, and and all the success they've achieved might be in spite of it or like working really hard to fight it or to not let it take over. So, So, thank you for sharing that. And yes, so, you know, it's very interesting. Depression is a very complex illness in that now we're getting more understanding that inflammation can be a part of it. So, like our things like our diet can play a role. Exercise can help boost and kind of mitigate some of the symptoms of depression by increasing endorphins in the brain and serotonin and certain chemicals, BDNF, brain derived neurotrophic factors. So, there's all these things that can help us kind of like fight against this maybe genetic predisposition. Because when you're talking about
0: Mm.
1: untreated bipolar disorder in the family, um, bipolar disorder is highly, highly like what we call genetically like transmitted or heritable and like passed on and from parent to child. And what we also see is that people who have bipolar disorder in the family often will also have first degree relatives. So like a, a sibling or a child, which has just straight up depression, unipolar depression, like bipolar is both the mania and then the low, the high highs and the low lows and unipolar is just the lows. So definitely it's like, it's like for you, like it sounded like hitting from both sides. Like, you know, you've got the dad and the grandparent and the mom and your mom's sister. So it's understandable, like the, the likelihood or the chances of a child having it. If both parents have had something in the, some form of a mood disorder is absolutely very high. And and then you add in environmental pressures of the like the, the bullying, which is very damaging, like bullying 100% increases your risk for all sorts of problems like anxiety, depression, academic challenges, because Michelle, one of our fundamental needs as human being is belonging and knowing that we matter to our peers to feel like we fit in and to feel like we have a place in our society and in our community. And so absolutely, there's no reason why a seventh grader couldn't have depression, especially if it's in the family to begin with.
0: That's so good. That's so good. And, you know, when you're at that age, you don't have the language. I didn't have the language in the 90s for depression. I mm-hmm. knew of lupus, cancer, just trying to think of things family members have gone through. Maybe pneumonia at that time, AIDS. We, But yeah. depression? Yes. Never heard of it. No. And culturally,
1: yeah, and culturally, right? Like like communities of color, it's just not talked about. It's not understood. It's frowned upon. There's stigma. There's shame. There's blame. And, like, how can we also forget, like, just the role, like, I think women, right? Like, women go through so much, so much is expected of them. They are the matriarchs in, in many of our communities. And so I feel like we become each other's support system, but, like, There's so many, and you have to be tough, right? You have to put on a tough face, a brave face, um, Mm. that so much is like you are the leader and you are the pillar in your community, right? So, like, when I think about like moms and aunts, they're cooking meals, their home is open, people are coming in, and like, you don't even get a minute, you don't have the luxury of being depressed. Like, depression can be seen as a luxury sometimes, right? Like, you know, get up, pick it up, move it, people are relying, you've got kids to take care of, like, Mm. So I feel like there's a lot of layers and culture plays and ethnicity plays a, a big role in this, whether you're allowed to even be depressed.
0: So culturally, are you finding a certain culture more optimistic than others?
1: You know, you know, it's, it's such a great question because they what they were finding with this genetic study is that. For example, Asians, they were thinking may be more likely to pessimism and depression. And I find that so interesting because just, yes, there's a genetic component to it, but there's also like, culturally, like racism, bias, discrimination, all of this affects our biology. When we're experiencing Mm -hmm. that we don't, we don't, we're not made to feel like we belong, whether it's on a cultural level, maybe it's the color of our skin, or we're just bullied because for no reason. And all of that, I put that in this in a similar bucket where it starts to chip away at our morale, you know, and something like 9-11, terrorism can do that. It chips away at your morale, at your sense of safety. You're like, you feel threatened. Someone is out to get me. Someone doesn't have my back. I'm not safe. I'm not protected. People don't like me. And however you want to call that, whether it's bullying in seventh grade, or whether it's like I'm a a woman of color moving in the world and the world doesn't see me as equal to them, you know, any number of things. And I feel like when you look at people's chromosomes, what we find is that there's more stress, Their, their telomeres, which are the ends of the chromosomes, these pieces end up getting oxidative stress and they end up becoming shorter. And it makes our biological age older than our actual chronological age. So, like you, if you're what? 30 35, yep, you, if you and if someone looked at your chromosomes, they'll be like, You look like a 50-year-old, like on the inside.
0: <sighs> oh, I want, I want you to look at my chromosomes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I only get we will have x-ray, you know, glasses and visions, hopefully, for that. But when they do the genetic testing, they'll look. And you know what really is interesting, Michelle, It's like something like meditation can prevent that oxidative stress. So they found moms. They, 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 they put young moms were undergoing a lot of stress and they put one in like a control group and they didn't do anything for them. And then they put another one in like a meditation mindfulness group. And those women over time showed a younger, like comparatively to those who did nothing, a younger biological age because the meditation protected them. So just because there are all these forces and factors, and it's understandable why people are feeling down these days, like inflation, war, right? Like Our country is, you know, strife. There's so many things happening politically. We don't feel protected and safe by uh, and taken care of by our leaders. We don't have healthcare as a basic. We don't have education as a basic, right? Like to me, the marker of a humane society is providing people their basic needs. And when we look at like the World Happiness Mm -hmm. Index, who are these top five countries? Who are these top 10? The Scandinavian countries are always winning because women have rights, right? They have positions and boards. So you can't have, half your population, if half your population is women, be neglected, left behind, not being given options. And then you don't give them healthcare and education. Like you're screwed as a society, you know? So I'm like, I'm pretty impressed. I'm pretty impressed that Americans for the most part are optimistic of all countries. I heard that like certain parts of the world where women don't have rights, you know, the the optimism and the happiness fall. Like in Afghanistan, they are like the lowest on the happiness index. And happiness and optimism are not quite the same. But this idea that I have hope for a better tomorrow, right? Like I'm impressed because I feel like generally speaking, maybe compared to other countries in the United States, we do women, you know, I feel blessed enough, even coming from an immigrant family, being a woman of color. Yes. I'm yes. I'm, I'm still grateful for whatever opportunities I've had that I know I wouldn't have had in other places. So as much as there's wrong in this country, there's also a lot of positivity and right. So we have to balance it, the good and the bad.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's something that you were talking about, say like women in Afghanistan who mm-hmm. know they want rights. Yes. And, and I can imagine wanting something that you yes. know you're supposed to have, yeah. you know, is a right. So I'm with you when you say you can understand why there's no optimism there, no happiness there going through the motions, which was a question that I have for you a little later. So say what we were just talking about, women in certain parts of the world who don't have rights Mm -hmm. or people in America who don't have access to healthcare and education, Mm -hmm. but you're told that no matter how dire or difficult a situation is, you should maintain a positive mindset. And this is coming from verywellmind.com, um, they were talking about toxic positivity, why it's mm-hmm. harmful and what to say instead. Well, we're not going to go through that anyway. But so for those of you listening, you're like toxic positivity. So toxic positivity mm-hmm. apparently is the belief that no matter how dire or difficult a situation is, people should maintain a positive mindset. But in this article, it's saying that it's toxic
1: to mm-hmm. always
0: think positive. So as mm-hmm. we're talking about, you don't have healthcare, you don't have education, you're living paycheck to paycheck. I was serving at a food pantry in Florida a few months ago. And there were people that had what you would consider to be newer model cars. One woman said, I work at, well, I can, she works at a certain delivery logistics company. And she said, I'm still living paycheck to paycheck. And she's in Mm -hmm. the line to get food. Mm -hmm. But you want to tell me to be positive. Mm -hmm. So what is your take? Is there, is that or such thing as being too positive?
1: Yes, yes. And, you know, it's it's telling someone to just get over things, to look on the bright side. Everything will work itself out, right? Those are the toxic positive statements where you may be well-intentioned, But maybe you just don't know the right thing to say to somebody. And so instead you say, like, just get over it. And that makes them feel dismissed. And, you know, toxic positivity is telling someone to look on the bright side without really understanding the gravity of what they are going through and without validating their experience. So a more helpful Mm. statement would be to acknowledge the hardship to say, like, I see how hard you're working. I see how challenging this is. This must be extremely frustrating and at the same time so recognizing the reality of the situation which can be quite dark and grave and devastating like sometimes when i have patients who tell me something really horrible that has happened or happening yeah. like if i were to be like yeah man just get over it that's not going to work they'll be like you know peace out i'm not coming back to you what do you mean you know just get over it right so you have to sit with them and 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 grieve grief is not just about the things that you've lost, but they're also the things that you never gained. Maybe the milestones in life, like during the pandemic, people didn't get to celebrate a graduation, a retirement party, or they didn't get to say their last goodbye to a loved one who might've been in the hospital and, and dying, right? So it's not just things that are lost, but it's also things that you never had that you wished or wanted. So what you're talking about Michelle, like the sort of paycheck to paycheck life, like that's, that's where we're at. You know, they, the, this, the studies show that even people were making like a let's say a family for household income is like 225,000. These folks, which is triple the median income in the United States, they still can't make it, you know, sort of day to day. And when I look at like private, for example, when I talk to people who are in Europe and they're like, oh my, I went through this fabulous education. I only paid like you know, the equivalent of four or 5,000 out of my pocket in euros the whole year. And they're like, you know, in the United States, this would have been an $80,000 a year undergrad tuition. And I'm just like, there's no world in which our undergrad tuition should be that kind of money. That is like, serious money. And it just makes me sad and really hardworking people just, you need to catch a break, so that you Mm -hmm. can get out from underneath debt and you know and 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 be able to get to the next level like you if you don't have the backing you're not even going to be able to get the education that might help you move to the next level. So, you know, it's not an easy thing but at the same time I say like don't give up hope. Like practical optimism is about okay, if plan A isn't going to work, I'm going to go down the list to plan B, C, D all the way to Z. You know, okay. can I get a job that can have let's say has one of their benefits Tuition reimbursement, college loan forgiveness. Are they willing to to pay for night school? Is there a course that I can take? Because a lot of times I feel like we also put walls up. We don't want to admit that we're we're struggling, you know, whether it's financially or job wise. And I feel like that's kind of where we get in our own way, where we're not asking for help because we don't want to admit to somebody else that we look like we have it all put together right we've got the newest iphone we've got the fancy cars you talked about like the designer right so when we look head to toe nails are done all of that and inside we're like oh man i don't my i don't know if my my, my bank account is going to bounce you know so it's this idea of like maintaining appearances that that really scares me because not only you're doing yourself a disservice financially but also mental health wise
0: that's so good Well, in your book, Practical Optimism, you give us tools and techniques to help us reach financial, fitness, and relationship goals. So switching gears here for a minute, when we're talking about toxic positivity, but is it okay for that person to be optimistic, Mm -hmm. but they're like, I'm living paycheck to paycheck, but I know things are going to get better?
1: Yeah. So I would say, hold on. And in that case, the optimism is not toxic. It's actually survival. It's actually pushing you to keep going tomorrow because you have the hope and the faith and the belief that things are going to get better. Mm -hmm. I always say hope is not just a noun, it's also a verb. So you can't just hope and wish and want for things, good things to come to you, right? Part of developing an abundance mentality is absolutely having a positive outlook it's turning those positive outlooks into positive outcomes by creating an action plan. Who am I going to call? Who am I going to ask for help? Who's going to take a chance on me? If I got rejected, am I going to take a break break and a breather? And am I going to come back out tomorrow and put on a... This is where putting on a strong face is not the worst thing in the world. Because it means you you pick yourself you up, you dust yourself. I've, as you know, I'm telling I'm telling. Mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like... That That's mm-hmm. such a beautiful line, you know, like from, you know, I think it was, was it Aaliyah, pick yourself up yeah, yep. dust, yourself,
0: yeah. Yep. dust yourself off and try again. try again. And by <laughs> the way, I should
1: tell you, your music has had, you you know, your music, your spirit, like everything that you have done by yourself with uh, Destiny's Child, just you bring so much love and, and beauty and positivity into the world. So thank you. I was I was a kid and I have to growing up listening to, you know, in high school and kind of all of it. And. Just so inspirational. Wait, so you're,
0: am I am I older than you? Is that what you're, you're saying? You're is it a younger. possibility?
1: <laughs> no, I think you're younger. But, but you know, when you're when you see someone so fabulous, you're like, they must be more experienced. They must be more accomplished. But I've you been know following what's you. So
0: funny is that I am in in the age where I do have to accept people are saying I grew up listening to your music. Yeah. So yeah, yeah I'm, I could I'm have okay. been older I, than I you. I feel good. Yeah. There's a possibility yeah. you could have been older than me, but still grew it growing yeah. up, listening yeah. to yeah. the music. And it's OK. Listen, yes. Dr. Verma, I am optimistic as it relates to aging. I'm excited about it. I'm excited about all the collagen pills and drinks and all the things that I can ingest <laughs> that are going to yes. keep me looking, yes. looking good. Yeah, I promise you this is a part of optimism that I feel like optimism can be fun. It's not dismissing reality, but it's also for me, optimism for me has been the track record. Mm-hmm. Meaning, have you gotten through heartbreak? Yeah. Have you gotten through financial stress? Maybe mm-hmm. you say you got through financial stress because maybe you're like you're stewarding the finances better. Maybe you're ordering less On certain apps, you know, you're you're cooking more. So or you're just trying to optimism uh, in the reality of what's going on. I just want us wanting to just look at a circumstance and be like, I can be optimistic. I got Mm -hmm. through that. Yes, I got absolutely. through that. I grew from it. Um, yes. And I, I'm excited too, Dr. Varma, that you share that a strong foundation of mental health is built mm-hmm. on key habits, okay? Yes. The four Ms of mental health, mindfulness, meaningful engagement, movement, and mastery. As it relates to COVID and what you saw, mm-hmm. is that something, uh, those four M's, was that something that you could share during that time?
1: And yes. now yes. past
0: COVID, we are, mm-hmm. we're still seeing the effects of, of that. Yes. Yes. So, you know, I
1: had to come up with this really in a, in a, in a very quick way. So, um, in, in. April 2020, New York was about to hit its peak and Global Citizen called me and they were like, we're having all these fabulous people come on TV, you know, Elton John and Rolling Stone, Oprah, Gail, whatever. I was like, great, I'll be watching the show. And they're like, no, 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 we want you to be in the show. I was like, I don't sing. I don't dance. I don't know what you want from me. And I'll be on my couch like the rest of us. And they're like, no, no, no. no. So you're going to come on and talk about something positive and hopeful and then give people strategies and yada. And I was like, oh, great. So like, I have an hour? And they're like, no, no, you have 59 seconds. And I was like, 59 seconds, how am I going to... And Carrie Washington was actually introducing me. And I was like, 59 seconds, first of all, to follow her. And I love her at work. And then I was like, okay, but well, what do I say that's going to add value? And I, that's where I came up with... I was like, okay, in 59 seconds, if I could impart the crux of what good mental health is. So look, it's not going to substitute therapy, the individual work that's done one-on-one when somebody really invests in getting to know you, that's not going to take the place of it. But what do I tell my patients? So even when they come to me and they're like, oh, I went through a job loss, I went through a divorce. I'm still taking a 360 inventory about their life. And I want to know about their diet and their habits and their friendships. So if I had to break down good mental health in 59 seconds, and we have a few more minutes than that, but my, meaningful engagement is my favorite. What I love about that is telling people there's two levels of relationships. There's the social snacking, the micro connections, which is like the barista, the dog walker, making superficial connections. That is just mm. as important. Extr- the activity partner, maybe you have a friend that you go cycling with or go to a power yoga class with like that is totally OK and necessary activity partners. We need those. You're at work, the water cooler at the elevator. Um Talk to people, make eye contact, smile, ask them how they're doing, listen, wait for the response, say something meaningful back, or just say, I hear you, you know, if you don't know the right thing. So that's social snacking. That's the micro connection. That's part of meaningful engagement. But also I want people to go deep, have the one-on-one sit down. How are you doing? And then be real. Take the mask off. Because so many of times we're posturing and posing, everything is great. My relationship is great. My money is great. This Mm -hmm. is the biggest, if I were to be like, what is one of the biggest causes of unhappiness? It's this need to seem like we're successful and that we have it all together. And that is getting in the way of real, authentic, honest conversations between people. So go deep, be vulnerable share something about yourself wow. with the trusted people in your life, and then also have your light, fluffy activity partner, social snacking, micro connections, mindfulness, just do something one at a time. Uh, if you're talking to someone, that's all you're going to do. You're washing dishes. That's all they can do. And they should listen to your podcast, by the way. So, <laughs> what, you know, <laughs> while they're doing something, but whatever you do, do it, do it wholeheartedly, do it meaningfully. You know, if you're going for a walk, be in the moment and walking by the way is a great way to get out of your own head because it's something called optic flow where you have to look left you have to look right make sure no one's running over you with a car and that gets you out of the rumination in your own head but mindfulness could be deep breathing it could be meditation there's so many benefits of meditation so we've covered meaningful engagement we've covered mindfulness um you know, I would say part of mindfulness, I was interviewed earlier um in, in January by the New York Times by a well wellness, their wellness mm. section. And, and it was called Oasis Moments. So it's about taking five minutes, maybe have a little meditation corner, a little Zen den in your home, if you will, put a little cushion on the floor and create a sacred space where you're just going to breathe. It could literally be in your bathroom. Like I'm a mom and when my kids were young, it was the only place where oh. maybe for maybe two minutes they would let me just be because, but but pretty soon they'd be knocking, you know, soon. But but the bathroom floor was kind of my Zen den. It sounds kind of funny. Or in medical training, the utility closet. Like I'd be like, I'm going to go get those needles and the tourniquet. I'll be right back. And I would just go in there and breathe for two minutes. So mindfulness can be, it's about intention and creating a sacred space of just going inward and breathing. Or if you're talking to somebody or whatever, just doing it single-mindedly. And then there's mastery, and I did two days. It was a six-day well challenge for the New York Times. And the sixth day, it was a Friday, and they're like, "We want you to bring." Or the f- either the fifth or sixth day was the end of the week, and they're like, "How can people unwind mm. without turning into you know digital or watching or streaming?" And it was called low stakes flow state, where mastery. You don't have to be a master to experience mastery. They asked me, how do you experience mastery? And I was like, I'm not very good at it, but salsa dancing. Oh. And so for me, like in medical school, it helped me like, you know, I've been like shaking it to like Mark Anthony. And I love music, your music, like just music helps me just live and be happy and kind of get out of my own academic, mm. intellectual, you know, be, be with people. And I love music from that part of the world. I feel like you know, it's just very uplifting. and Yeah, So flow and mastery, it could be cooking, it could be gardening, it could be painting, it could be a lot of people into weaving and needlepoint, like all of that sort of creative um, making something, you know, and you don't have to be good at it. and It doesn't have to be for anyone else but yourself. And then the last one is movement. And this can be in any form. But we do know that exercise, not only does it boost your mood, but it also boosts your sense of purpose in life. So if anyone's listening to this, and they're like, I don't know what I want to do. I don't really feel called to do anything big i'm bored i'm lonely i'm feeling empty i don't know i want to make a career pivot and i'm not feeling inspired go, go for a workout 30 minute workout do whatever you can weightlifting for women is great it decreases like again it, it boosts your cognitive health
0: cortisol
1: yeah t- totally decreasing the cortisol and and you know what's really interesting is if you if you're like oh i want to be mentally sharper right after you exercise is the best time because your attention, your concentration, your memory, everything is boosted. So maybe leave the most difficult task. If you have a really annoying email to put together or a project that you're like, I need creativity and I don't have it. Schedule a workout session and immediately afterwards, like bring your laptop. And if you're lucky enough to be at a gym or wherever it is you are, just hit the hit that most difficult to-do list task right after exercising. So those are the four M's of mental health.
0: That is so, I promise you y'all, after I've had a great workout, it never fails. I feel like I literally can climb on top of a building rooftop and fly. Nothing harmful, guys. I literally (laughs) feel like I could, imaginary wings are going to just come out and I can just do anything.
1: That's awesome. And y'all,
0: everything that dr sue varma has mentioned is free you don't have to have a gym membership you can do squats walk in a park go find a safe space in a park everything is free y'all my mother cracked me up because i was like mom you live in a pretty nice neighborhood um like People golf behind your house. Um, I need you to go work out. Okay, I, I need it. you to go. I need you to go walking. And she says, "I don't have any walking shoes." I go and buy her two different colors of walking shoes. Why well, I don't have socks? I'm like, if you don't go, <laughs> you know, it was so funny because she was wanting this expensive gym membership. Yeah. I'm like, you're not yeah. taking advantage of yes. the beauty. Um, yes. Go walk with the. There's a group of women who like to walk. Yeah. They have their neon vests on. You Love know, walking that. around the neighborhood. So basically, you guys, what I'm saying is, to be well, you it does not break your bank. Mm-hmm. It just means you just have to give 10 minutes, 10 to 20 Mm -hmm. minutes of your day somehow Mm -hmm. um, just taking care of you. And again, you everything you named is free. There are Mm -hmm. ways to listen to music for free. Mm -hmm. Y'all know how to do it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, there are (laughs) ways to whether it's illegal or not. I don't know. But there are ways to Mm -hmm. listen to music for free and I am so glad that you y'all she's giving close to 45 minutes here of just pouring to us about the importance of being optimistic but at the same time you know not dismissing your reality and how you treat people who are going through something don't dismiss um what they are saying but you can look into the face of hardship and maybe look at your track record from before and be like Mm -hmm. i'm gonna make it through this i made it through the last Mm -hmm. hardship i'm gonna get through this one and nothing is wrong with that Y'all, Dr. Yes. Suvarma, I'm so excited about your book. Thank you. Kudos to you for sharing. And um, Ed, last question for you is, the podcast is checking in and the foundation of it is mental health. How have you been doing as it relates to, you have had to be teach us about being optimistic in the face of mm-hmm. a lot of traumatic events. So for Mm -hmm. you, what has that done to you?
1: Yes. So, you know, Michelle, I'm very open about the fact that, like, I see my own mental health as something that I have to work on every day. Like, I don't want to take for granted, like, I feel so blessed and called to do the work that I do. And a lot of it involves me to roll up the sleeves and get in the trenches with the people that I work with and go through what they're going through so that I can understand their hardships, so that I'm not speaking from, you know, up here, like, you know, I'm better. I've been through, you know, a, a lot myself personally, and I talk about it in the book, in fact, it's the opening chapter of my own personal breakdown, if you will, and then how I came to learn about therapy, you know, and how that's made me a better therapist and how that's made me a better person, you know, and like, all of the things that I talk about in the book, yes, I wanted to make sure everything was science backed. And I did tons and tons of research. But I also didn't want to put a single thing in their book that I haven't used on myself and practice on myself and with my patients. So the four Ms of mental health, I think of it as a prescription and back in the day when we had prescription pads and doctors used to write them before we went to electronic i would write on my pad you are going to exercise you are going to you know i didn't have the language of the 4m's at the time but it was it's now like a non-negotiable for me like i am going to finish with you and before i see my next patient i have a little time and i'm going to run to the gym every single day it's non-negotiable i'll pick up the phone Perfect. and call a friend so I put them in my life you have to schedule. Think of if you take nothing else from this conversation, the easiest thing to walk away with today, tangible tool and tip is the four M's. Mindfulness, movement, mastery, meaningful engagement, and just populate your calendar with, when am I seeing a girlfriend in person? When am I going to go to the gym? When am I going to go for a 10 minute walk? And I hope that your mom listens to this conversation and is like, all right, I'm putting that neon vest on and I'm putting those bright sneakers and I'm going because if I can share with you- my mother-in-law is beautiful, lovely, very healthy, healthy, very youthful, but like it's, I is also like, I got to push her. She lives across from this beautiful park and is in driving distance, 10 minutes to the beach. And those are two things that I love being in nature and the ocean. And I can't get her to go. And it's like, maybe sometimes people take it for granted when they're surrounded by beauty, you know, and I'm just like, please, like this, your, your health and your life depend on it. So I know what it's like to love someone and to care about their well being. I went through this with my mom as well. And it was really hard. Like you can have all the knowledge in the world, but if like somebody in your life isn't ready to absorb it, like, you know, you're. If you, sometimes you feel like, oh my God, I'm banging my head against the wall, but I'm not going to give up because I'm a practical optimist. I'm going to keep trying. And I hope you keep trying with, Mama Williams or (laughs) however she goes by
0: over (laughs) there. That's her, Mama Williams. That is amazing. So y'all, Dr. Rama is practicing what she literally preaches, the four M's. And y'all, her nail color is so pretty. I peeped it. It's like a (laughs) lilac or it's so pretty. I'm going to try that color. It's beautiful. Thank you. Thank
1: Thank you you so
0: much. much. I'm so excited about your book practical optimism y'all practical optimism the art science and practice of exceptional well-being y'all we deserve it we deserve with so much going on in our environment you deserve to take care of you and have exceptional well-being dr sue thank you for checking in
1: thank you thank you so much for having me what a great conversation i really appreciate it
0: Absolutely. You are welcome to come back anytime. What a wonderful conversation. I know I learned some things about uh, toxic positivity and, you know, it's 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 okay to remain optimistic in the face of adversity. But don't dismiss your reality or what someone else's reality is at the moment. You know, I loved it. Like when somebody loses a loved one. I don't think that's the time to say, heaven needed an angel. Child, I don't want heaven to have the angel. I want my angel here on earth. And I know we say things and we, we do mean well. But, you know, sometimes it's okay to not say anything. Sometimes it's okay to just sit with the person in their grief or in their disappointment. Now, me personally, I don't wanna sit too long, you know, but I will sit with my friends. I'll sit with loved ones, you know, while they're grieving or while they're going through. But I will say um, sometimes grief when you don't go through those stages of loss, grieving a loss, it can turn into depression. And so listen, y'all, I just, ugh, I, I, I just know what that season was like. I know I personally do not want to go back to that season, but I do understand Just sitting in a moment of grief, sadness, disappointment. I get it. You want to acknowledge, hey, this is what it is. But I think now we have so many tools that are accessible to us so that we don't have to stay down too long. All right. Um, I just thank y'all so much for checking in, downloading the episodes. Um, I'm excited and I'm looking forward to season four. All right, I love y'all. There's nothing you can do about it, okay? Now that might be toxic, I don't know, but I don't care. You're gonna get this love. Checking in with Michelle Williams is a production of iHeartRadio and The Black Effect. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.